Latin word adventus, which means the coming of or the arrival of, the patient waiting of a king. We do celebrate that this morning, that King Jesus has come, but that King Jesus will return again. That's what gives us great hope. I don't know about you, we talked briefly this morning in the deacons meeting, it, it, we can lose joy really quickly and lose hope rather quickly in this world, right? Even on Wednesday, just two people walk into a place and kill 17, 14 people and leave a ton injured. That for me can leave a lot of us in despair. And so how do we still have joy? How do we still have hope in all that's going on in the world? That's what we come to celebrate this morning. That's what I want to look at uh, here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. Tracy read it, so I, I won't read it this morning first for time's sake. Uh, and also that she read it already. But here's what a theologian says about this verse, and I believe it's so true. Uh, Dennis Bratchard says this, The passage is about more than longing and dreaming for better days ahead, although that is certainly a part of this passage. It is really about living under the threat in a world that is beyond our control, a world that lies, lies in the hands of rulers and leaders who make stupid, selfish, and even cowardly decisions who refuse to trust God. But in the midst of all this, the passage speaks to the Christian's true hope and glory. The reality is that God is on His throne and His power and His plans can never be thwarted. No one can thwart the plans of God. And that His power and His plans can never be thwarted so that we, the believer, may rest in that and that we rejoice. You see, amen? Like We do have a sovereign God who is in control even in the moments of Wednesday when it looks like everything's in total chaos. There still is a God that is sovereign and reigning over all those things the same way that the same God in Isaiah chapter 9 was reigning over the people of Israel. Remember we talked about that last week, that the nation of Israel had been invaded by a foreign king to take over. And there's the midst of this passage that we talk about. And so how is it that the advent of Christ brings joy to God's people? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3. We'll look at one verse this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3. How is this possible for the nation of Israel? And how is this possible for us this morning? It says this, you, you is talking about the God of the universe. The you here throughout this passage is the sovereign God, the holy God, the righteous God, the one that sits on his throne forever and ever. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. The its is the nation. The nation we'll talk about is the believer, that God is redeeming people. And in the redemption of the world, the nation of Israel, and now for us as Gentiles, the nation is beginning to become more and more. That's the plan of God. He says, you've increased its joy. And they, who's the they? We, the nation, rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see in that one verse, here it is that the nation of Israel can find joy in God. God alone brings joy. How is this possible? How is it that God brings joy in the midst of the chaos? It's found in verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. That's how we have joy this morning. 
It's not just that God's on His throne and ruling and reigning, but the God of the universe wanted from the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell in the garden was to redeem them back to Himself, to bring us back into intimate relationship with God. And God had a plan from that very moment. And it lied within one person, the Son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we can find true joy only in God's salvation. That is our only joy this morning, is in God's salvation through the Son that we celebrate the advent of Christ. And you see, it's not just 2,000 years ago, but whenever He returns, we will find joy in His return. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 12, you don't need to this morning, verses 1 through 6. This is what Isaiah says just a few words later in his letter, in his book. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to the Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. He goes on to talk about, therefore, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. You see, that passage talks about God turning from his wrath and his anger. I talked about this a few weeks ago. We have a holy, righteous God, and God in His infinite wisdom, we must see Him as an angry God, a just God, and yet a forgiving God. And in this passage, it talks about the anger of God was turned. You see, it's God's anger, it's God's judgment that has to come, or we don't have a God at all. And yet in His sovereignty and His wisdom and His care for us, His love for us, He turns in His anger away from us and gives us His Son and His love for us. That's salvation. Isaiah chapter 25, 1-10 says this, O Lord, You are my God. I will exalt You. I will bring joy to You. I have joy in You. I will praise Your name for You have done wonderful things. Plans formed out of old, faithful and sure in verse 1. Verse 80 says this, You will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You see, that passage is talking about God's salvation of God's people who turned from Him in their sin. And it says that the death will be swallowed up. There will be no more death. And so we can have joy in that this morning. Uh, John, 1 John 2, 2 says this. He, Jesus, that's who we're celebrating. That's who we're anticipating. That's who's arrived. John says this in his epistle. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, that is what Jesus is. That word propitiation means that there must have been a judgment that fell on somebody and that judgment fell on Jesus rather than us. The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross of Jesus rather than on you and me. That is our joy this morning. That is our salvation this morning. It's way more than a cross. It's way more than a Christmas tree. It's way more than a manger. It's the wrath of God, the anger of God being being accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is about. 
Christmas's way about what Keith's saying. Thanks a lot, Keith, for making me cry moments before I come up here. You told me you were going to do it, and you did it. Appreciate your ministry. <laughs> but we have joy this morning because the wrath of God was satisfied on His Son. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a son. And I cannot imagine this morning. I cannot imagine watching my son have to go through what Jesus Christ went through for you. And I have joy now because there was a holy God that sacrificed his son for me and the redemption of my sin. Do I have joy in that this morning? Or is it more about presence? Is it more about eggnog? Or is it, man, oh, the holiness and the wrath of God was taken care of by the Son of God. You see, that's what that passage says. Oh, you will swallow up death forever. You see, what he's saying in that passage, Isaiah is saying, is you will never experience eternal death in your salvation. Though you may die physically, you will never die spiritually because God was going to satisfy Himself and swallow up death in the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. That's the joy of our salvation this morning. You see, He is the propitiation for our sins. And this is where it does not stop. Not only your sins, but also the sins of the whole world. You see, there's people a mile from here that I don't have the joy of the Lord this morning. And yet God's Word tells us that His joy is for those people as well. He goes on and says this in the passage. How does this happen? How do we have experienced joy in only God's salvation? It comes in the next part of the verse. True salvation will always bring true joy. If you are a believer this morning, if you have Christ in your heart, we need to have true joy this morning. You see, my professor told me this. You've heard this, I'm sure. If you have the joy of the Lord this morning, tell your face. I'm like, man, that's cruel. Tell your face. Meaning, do we as believers walk around with the joy of the Lord? The next part of the verse says this, we will find joy only in the presence of God. See what he says. You see the first thing he says this, you have multiplied, you have increased its joy because the increase of joy comes through salvation. Then the next part of the verse talks about they rejoice before you. Circle the word before. We can only rejoice and have true joy in the presence of God. Psalm 16, 11 says this, You know, you have made known to me my paths of life. In your presence, there's the fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. In the presence of the Lord, there is joy. Luke 2, we read that as well. Luke 2, 8 through 10 says this, In the same way, in the region, there were shepherds out, of, out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what great joy. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus is coming. You see, in this passage, God had remained silent. The presence of God was not with God's people for almost 400 years. That's the gap between Malachi and Matthew chapter 2. Some 400 years, the presence of God was not seen by the people of God. And so all of a sudden, the angel appears and says to the shepherds, the lowliest of low, hey, do not fear. I don't know about you, but if the presence of God had not been seen for some 400 years, and all of a sudden, the presence of God appears in an angel, I'm going to freak out a little bit. And yet the message to the people is God is not coming back. He's not been quiet for some 400 years to bring you to punishment, but it's to bring you good news of deliverance. And so therefore we can have joy in the presence of God because the presence of God brings us good news. Amen? You see, this is what Peter says. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not know Him, and you do not know you see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory. Do we believe that? And is that true for us? We have not seen God. Not in that. Maybe you have. I haven't seen God appear in an angel. If you have, please write a book. You'll make millions. But do we, are, we there, are there even words to express our joy in God? Here's what an ancient Baptist preacher said from the 1800s. He said this, The religion of Christ is the religion of joy. Christ came to take away our sins, to roll off our curse, to unbind our chains, to open our prison house, to cancel our debt. In a word, to give us the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, Is this not joy? Where can we find a joy so real, so deep, so pure, so lasting? There's every element of joy. Deep, satisfying, sanctifying joy in the Gospel of Christ Jesus. The believer in Jesus is essentially a happy man. The child of God is for necessity a joyful man. How come? His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victorious. His death is immortality. His future is a heaven, unconceivable, unthought of, untold, endless blessings with which a God, a Savior, a such a hope, is He not? Ought He, the believer, not be a joyful man? You see, if all that it is in your life is that you're a believer and your sins are forgiven, there ought to be joy in your life. If nothing else, if just your sins are forgiven this morning, if just my sins are forgiven, there ought to be joy in my heart because of what is to come because of the salvation that God has given me through His Son, Jesus. You see, in this passage the circumstances of the Israelites had not changed. You see, their circumstances in verse 3 had not changed from verse 1. They were still in captivity. They were still in bondage. They were still uh, uh, oppressed by an oppressor. 
And yet in that word, Isaiah says to the people of God, hey, you find joy in the presence of God. How come? Because of the work and accomplishment of Christ Jesus, his son, because of the forgiveness of our sins. You see, I don't think we believe that. I don't think we really have experienced God's joy. Have we settled for other things other than the joy of God? You see, have we taken what God has given to us? Have we begun to worship creation rather than the Creator? You see, we can find great pleasure in the things that have been created, if, but if we never get into our joy with the Creator, we'll miss out on it because we'll go from thing to thing to thing to thing. I mean, I love watching football on a big TV. Now, this is going to sound real selfish and prideful. You can fire me if you need to. I, I, I had a, a, a 42-inch TV, but it just wasn't big enough. I had to go get a 50-inch TV. And you know, in a couple years, that won't be good enough. You see, I lived in a nice house in Florida, and yet even in the nice house in Florida, I was waiting for the next big house. Because I was going to go to thing, to thing, to thing, to thing, to satisfy the inner soul of the man. Because I wasn't experiencing true joy in my salvation. You see, that's why drugs and alcohol and sex are at such an epidemic in our society. It's because the man will always go to something to find a quick release and a quick relief from the things of the world rather than being patient and waiting for the things of God. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. I love this quote. We, the believer, are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambitions when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offers of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, what C.S. Lewis is talking about in this passage and this book that he wrote is that the man God that the man that God created finds pleasure in things other than God Himself, and we're like little kids that think, man, we're making mud pies in a in a sand pit, and we think they're, they're coconut cream pies. Hint, hint, that's my favorite pie. If you ever want to get me one. And so that little boy, that little girl in the sand pile making a mud pie is having this imagination that it's more than what it is, and it really can't eat the, the pie. So it's got to make this imagination up. And yet God is offering us so much more than that. And yet C.S. Lewis says it so beautifully. We are far too easily pleased. And yet because we're far too easily pleased, there's never enough to please us. There's not enough fill in the blank. There's not enough money. I remember thinking in high school, man, if I could only stop working at Kroger and get a job making $10 an hour, man, I will have arrived. I mean, I was a bag boy making $5.25 an hour. I thought I was something when a lady gave me a $2 tip. That just increased the hourly payment. But I, I remember going from there to the next job to the next job, and it just was, it was never going to be enough. Whatever it is for you, 
There's not a big enough house to please you. There's not a big enough TV, not enough, a nice enough car. There's never going to be enough. Jesus is enough. The next thing we see is what this passage talks about in the second half of verse 3. We can rejoice in God regardless of our circumstances. You see, like I said a few minutes ago, the circumstances of Israel had not changed. And this morning, your circumstance may not change. Just like we talked about last week, there may seem to be no light at the end of the tunnel for you. This is what the psalmist has to say about that in chapter 31. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. How come? Because you have seen my affliction. You see, in spite of your circumstances this morning, God knows where you're at. Whatever's going on in your life this morning, it does not catch our holy God by surprise. He was not dumbfounded on Wednesday morning. He was not scrambling in heaven trying to find a plan on what to do. You see, we do not have a reactive God. We have a proactive God. And God has been proactive since the moment He entered the garden with His people. He's always been on mission to redeem His people back to Himself. So wherever you are at in this moment, it does not catch God by surprise. God, from the moment of creation, has had a plan for your life before you were ever even thought of. You see, you have known me in the distress of my soul, the psalmist says. And so for us this morning, I do not know what your circumstances are, but God does. But God does. And you see, if you're a believer here this morning, all that matters is that your external circumstances may not change, but my hope is your internal has changed. You see, your internal circumstances, if you're a believer this morning, have been changed forever. Your eternity is different if the internal soul has been submitted to Christ and Christ alone. You see, if you can say this morning, oh, there is a God that sent His Son Jesus to redeem me and I have put my faith and trust in Him, then your circumstances are forever different. You see, I've said it here before. If you are a believer here, this is the only hell you will know. If you know Jesus this morning, this life, this is the only hell that you will know. And the saddest part, if you do not know God this morning, this is the only heaven that you'll know. It gets way worse than this. What makes hell so bad is not fire, is not Satan, it's the absence of God Himself. That is what makes hell, hell. And so if you do not know Jesus, if you have not placed your hope and your trust and your faith into what we come to celebrate this morning, then this is the only heaven you will know. You will spend eternity without God the Father, without God the Son, and without God the Holy Spirit. But for us, if we're a believer this morning, we can find joy in spite of our circumstances. Because of what is to come. And because we can trust the holy God, He knows it all. 
He's present in all. This is what Jerry Bridges says, a theologian. He says, so the choice is yours. The choice is ours. We can be joyless Christians. Or we can be joyful Christians. We can go through life bored and gloom and complaining. Or we can rejoice in the Lord. In your name being written in heaven. That's what we can rejoice in this morning. If you're a believer, your names are written on the hands of God, it says. In the hope of an eternal inheritance. It is both our privilege and our duty to be joyful. To be joyless is to dishonor God and to deny Him His love, His control over our lives. It's practical atheism. To be joyful is to experience the power of the Holy Spirit within us and to say to a watching world, our God reigns. You see, our joy in Christ Jesus is a display to a lost world that we do have a God that reigns sovereign and in control over all things despite what happened on Wednesday. Amen? Amen? Talk to me, church. That we have a God that sits on a throne that's in control of all things. If someone wants to bust in this door and shoot me dead in the head, God is in control and sovereign over all that. And it says in His Word, He will get pleasure even in that. I don't know how, but He will. And so for me as a believer, for you as a believer this morning, is there joy because of our eternal security in heaven? Because that God sent His Son Jesus, the advent, the coming of joy. Do you have that joy this morning? Have you experienced that joy? We can only have true joy through the salvation offered to us through Christ Jesus. Have you embraced Christ's salvation this morning? The last quote is this. I love this quote. As this is where I can find myself so often. And maybe you're here this morning. The amount to which you understand the Gospel is measured by your ability to be joyful in all circumstances. Let me read that sentence again. The amount to which you understand the Gospel, that's Jesus Christ and Him alone that offers us salvation, is measured by your ability to be joyful in all circumstances. Do you know the Word of God this morning? Have you spent time with God today, this morning? Have you spent time with Him in His Word? Do you know the truths of God? If you know the truths of God, you will have a joy. That's what this man is saying. If you grasp what a treasure, the presence and acceptance of God are, then even when your life goes really wrong, you will have a joy that will sustain you. Because you will recognize the value of what you have in Him. When life punches you in the face, you'll say, but I still have the love and the acceptance of God, a treasure I do not deserve. We do not deserve God's salvation. We did not earn God's salvation. It's a free gift to us. And the joy that you find in the treasure can make you rejoice even when you have a bloody nose. You and I have a joy that death cannot touch. Let me read that one more time. You and I, if you're a believer in here this morning, have a joy that even death itself cannot touch. Have you experienced the joy of the Lord this morning?
You see, as we come into this season of Advent, the coming of joy, have you experienced joy this morning? Have you placed your whole faith, your whole trust, your whole life into the hands of God? You see, God doesn't want part of you. God wants all of you. Is there any part of you that's been holding yourself back from giving all of your heart to God? Because if it is, you will never experience true and abundant joy. God isn't, isn't a mathematician. He wants it all, not fractions. And so in you this morning, have you given it all to God? Maybe you've walked with God your entire life, but there's been one or two places in your life that you've held back from God. If that's true, you will not experience the joy of God. We will never experience the fullness of God until we give ourselves fully to God. And so this morning, have you given yourself fully to a holy God who gave his full son to you to walk on this planet, to become a baby, to give up the royalty of heaven to this planet? He gave it all up so that we would have an internal and emotional and spiritual relationship with a holy God. And now he's saying to us, will you give it all back to me? Your whole life. God wants every single part of you. And I promise this with closing. Until you give it all to God, every fiber of your being to a holy and righteous God, you will never have the joy that you search for. Because you will always be wanting more. And we will only be satisfied when we live in complete surrender to a holy God. You see, Jesus surrendered all of himself at the cross. He held nothing back at the cross. And he's asking us to do the same. Let us pray. God, I ask my own self this question. Have I embraced your salvation this morning? God, I deeply want to experience your joy, God. Change my heart, oh God, I pray. God, I pray if there's anyone in this place this morning that has not placed their trust and their faith in you, all of it, God, every ounce of it, that they would not leave this place this morning. God, even this morning, as we come to celebrate Christmas, that they would receive the greatest gift that you ever offered us, that's your son to redeem us. He became the propitiation for our sin. If we know you, Lord, this morning, if we're believers in you, I pray that we would find our complete joy in you. I pray that we would leave this place and we would rejoice. And as we rejoice, that this lost world around us would take notice of our joy. Because it's your joy, God. It's the joy that you have bestowed on us through your sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, I know there's a lot of craziness going on, even in this room, even in the hearts of your people. God, a lot of us in this room, we, we maybe feel like we've been punched in the face this week. God, our external circumstances, they may not change in the next few days. They may not change in the next few months or years. But God, our eternity, if we've placed it in you, has been changed forever. And in that, God, I pray that we would find joy in that.
lead us, God. Lead us, lead us, God. To your throne of grace and to your throne of mercy. And we would lay in in an attitude of worship before you. An attitude of surrender before you, God. And say to you this morning, it's all yours, God. Everything I have, God, is yours this morning. All of me. Because you gave all of yourself to me. So lead us and guide us, I pray. Let us celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's way more than a Christmas tree. It's way more than the hustle and bustle. It's way more than a gift under the tree. But it's you, Jesus, that came and lived a holy life because I could never. And in your holiness, Jesus, in your graciousness, God, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was wounded, but now I'm healed. I once was disheartened, but now I have heart, God. Because of your great sacrifice. Let me find joy in that this morning, God. Lead this church, God. Lead this church. God, let us be a light to this lost community. And God, I pray that it would start with our joy. But yeah, God, let it start with me. Let it start with my joy. I pray this in the holy name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to read these words over you as a benediction. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Peace be with you. May the God of the universe be with us all. Amen.